sacrifice. And before we dive in, one last and final thing, right? Sometimes as believers, there's certain subjects that we think are like too taboo, right? We shouldn't talk about that. I think for a lot of parents, right, talking about sex with our kids, that's taboo. I don't know when I should talk to my kids about this. I'll wait till they're like have a beard and they're driving. Then I'll start talking to them about this, right? And there's this tabooness within some believers. Family, the danger for each and every one of us and our homes is that hopefully you do possess the truth. You should be possessing the truth of marriage and sex and gender and what that's supposed to look like. And as we hopefully possess the truth, we should be wanting to share the truth with our family members and with our kids as soon as they can comprehend it and giving it to them in a way that they can comprehend it and not just blow them away and scare them about the subject for the rest of their lives, right? Why? Why should we be at this position? Because we have the truth and many Christians and believers have the truth about these things and they're afraid to talk to their kids about it. But guess what? The world would love nothing more than to begin to talk to your kids about gender and sex and marriage. And guess what? It is not the truth. It's not the truth. And you want to be the first source. We all know the Bible tells us, man, when you get that first source, that's sort of what you build your basis on, that this is truth. And as parents, we should be wanting to be the first ones that talk to our kids about these things. I think every year the average uh, first view of pornography for kids, it gets younger and younger and younger every year. Right? A couple years back it was eight years old, and I think it was like six years old or something like that. So again, talk about these things. You don't have to be taboo. Every person goes through it. it is what it is. Verse 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And, he shall be, and this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. So again, this could be a variety of things. It could be he ate something bad and he has diarrhea. This could be he has boogers and snot coming out. This could be pus. This could be blood. Whatever your worst emissions have ever been, you can put it in there, right? One of the things for us to know of the context historically here is that the nation of Israel is fresh out of the nation of Egypt. And the nation of Egypt and the lands around them, Canaan, were known for their promiscuity. To the point that whole villages and towns died from venereal diseases and the way that they would have sex with one another. So again, God has called them to be separate. They don't know about germs. They don't know about antibacterial. They don't know about microscopes or anything like this. So God is telling them, hey, any discharge that is from your body but not normal, you need to treat that person as unclean. It's likely speaking about an abnormal discharge linked to disease. So that person's unclean. You treat them as unclean. You quarantine that person. Verse 4 through 12, it tells us every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies. And everything on which he sits shall be unclean. Whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he 
who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. I don't know why you'd have a friend that would spit on you while they're unclean, right? Get a new friend and you have to wash yourself, clean yourself, right? Uh, it's probably talking about sneezing on them, right? Some of us, we are... Uh, how should I say it, right? More passionate talkers than others, and sometimes we have a splash zone, right? So, if, man, if you spit on them while you're unclean, then they have to bathe themselves and wash themselves as well and wait and quarantine until the evening. Verse 9, any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. Again, all of this summarized, anything they touch is unclean and needs to be rinsed off with water. You come in contact with this person, you wash yourself right away, and then you quarantine yourself until that evening. Then it tells us they're vessels of earth, right? The pottery they used, the clay they used, it didn't have any enamel on it. There is no smoothness on it, right? Think some of us, I don't know about today, right? You grew up with the five-second rule, right? Something falls on the floor, you got five seconds to grab it and eat it, right? If you're really hardcore, you just blow on it, and then you eat on it, and the germs magically, right, get blown away. I think scientists prove it doesn't work on rugs because rugs are so porous, all the bacteria and germs just sit there, and they're ready and waiting for it and hanging out. The clay vessels that they were used were very porous. They had no enamel on them. They weren't smooth, so now if they touched anything, right? Think of all the discharges we've talked about, right? That gets on your pottery, that gets on your cup. There's no way to really clean the cup. It's in the cup, right? What do you do? You burn it, you destroy it, you get rid of it. If it's wood, smooth, you can wash it and continue. Verse 13, and when he who has the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, Bathe his body in running water, not sitting water, but running water, and then he shall be clean. On the eighth day, the day of new beginnings, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. So again, in order to be made clean after being unclean, you would have to wait seven days, you would have to wash your clothes, and you would have to bathe yourself in running water. After that, on the eighth day, this day of new beginnings, you would then come before the Lord, You'd have to purchase two birds, right, two turtle doves, and you'd offer them to the priest, and the priest would offer a sin offering and a burnt offering for you. 
This would remove your ceremonial defilement and would also remove and give you pardon of your sins. Again, our God is such a holy God that he didn't want anybody unclean entering into the temple. You ate something bad, don't come to the temple today, right? Wait seven days, cleanse yourself, then you can come and begin to worship the Lord once again. This is how holy our God is. This is how holy he wants our homes to be in a sense. And we'll look at more the today, how do we apply this. Verse 16 and on, these are natural emissions. Again, sex for some Christians, it's taboo. They're scared to talk about it, scared to talk about it with their kids. Again, all of this is natural. This is what God has created. This is how God has made us. That's why we don't see any burnt offering needed after these emissions. Got to be clean, got to stay clean, have good hygiene, right? But it's not a sin or unclean or evil. It's just ceremonial uncleanness. Verse 16, if any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man, and there is an emission of semen. They shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Again, be clean. They would have to take a bath afterwards. They'd have to wash themselves afterwards. Clean up anything that got dirty. Verse 19. If a woman has discharge, again, natural. This is the way the human body works. And the discharge from her body is blood. She shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. So a woman, as they're having their period, as they're going through their menstrual cycle, she would have to be set apart for seven days. This is good news for the lady, right? She would have to work as hard to be able to take a break from working. Maybe this is good news for the guy too, right? She'd be set apart for seven days, right? A very dangerous seven days, right? So good news for the ladies, maybe good news for the guys, right? Less responsibility for her, less work for her during this difficult seven days, more responsibility for the guy. Verse 20, everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, now he's unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean for seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. They were to treat everything she touched during her period as unclean. If you came in contact with anything that she was in contact with during those seven days, now you were unclean. Again, bathe yourself, wash yourself. They don't know about germs. They don't know about bacteria. We do this in hospitals. You go in the hospital. You wash your hands. You go out of the hospital. Hopefully, this is what I do. I wash my hands again, right? Get in the car, wash your hands. Just staying clean and pure. The Lord had his people set apart different than the rest of the world around them. Verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. 
Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So again, if she's bleeding for any other reason, you treat her as you would treat her going through that customary time of impurity. We can think of the woman that had the the flow of blood, right? And now her whole life for years and years and years completely treated as unclean. No one would want to touch her. Everyone would want to stay away from her. Right? We don't have time to go there. And the gospel says she spent all of her money on doctors trying to heal her and no one could heal her. She takes a step of faith. What does she do? She goes through the whole crowd, touching everyone in the crowd, making all of them unclean to just grab the hem of his garment, right? And Jesus says, right, when Jesus first says, who touched me? All the disciples say, what are you talking about, man? There's a million people here. Everybody's touching you, right? But he says, no, someone touched me. And because of her faith, he says, man, you are made clean. And he calls her daughter, right? Only instance where Jesus calls a lady daughter, daughter, you are now made clean. We could also think of, I believe, it's Jacob's wife. She's hiding an idol, and she puts it under her saddle in the tent. And now she sits on the saddle, and she tells her dad, dad, it's that time of the month. You can't touch me, right? So the dad leaves her alone with the idol hiding under there. So just some tidbits of Leviticus throughout the Bible. Now we continue verse 28. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, and she shall count for herself seven days, after that she shall be clean. On the eighth day, new, day of new beginnings, she shall take for herself two turtle doves, two young pigeons, bring them to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Thus... You shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness. Watch this. Lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for one who has a discharge and for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby. And for her who is indispossessed because of her her customary impurity. And for the one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. Again, this is how serious God was calling them to be holy. He didn't want them to come into the temple with any uncleanness, even ceremonial uncleanness. If not, they would die in the tabernacle. And now having bodily discharge in and of itself, it's not sinful. It simply made you ceremonial unclean. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. However, to disobey God and his standard for being ceremonially unclean, now that's a sin. And to be restored and cleansed, and if you don't do that God's way, that would be sinful. One of the things God is doing here is he's making a huge separation between worshiping God and between sexual intimacy. He's making a huge separation here because oftentimes in the ancient world, people would use sex as a way to offer worship to pagan gods. So again, God is making such a separation. He says, hey, if you've had intimacy, unless you've been cleansed, unless you've been washed, you can't even come into the temple here. The separation that God is creating here. Robert Jameson, 
he points to, again, the separation that God had for the nation of Israel. He says, to better, to mark out that the people as his family, as his servants, as his priests, dwelling in the camp as in a holy place, consecrated by his presence and his tabernacle, he required of them complete purity. And he did not allow them to come before him when they were defiled, whether involuntary or secret impurities, as a want of respect due to his majesty. And when we bear in mind that God was training a people to live in his presence in some measure as priests devoted to his service, we shall not consider these rules for the maintenance of personal purity either too stringent or too minute. Again, God called the whole nation of Israel and he says, you are a kingdom of priests. And we as Christians, as believers, God has called us to be a kingdom of kings and priests. Again, does everything in our home represent purity? Does everything in our home bow down and give respect due to the majesty of our God? Or are there certain dominions? We talked about that on Sunday. Do we have little dominions, right? Little states hanging out within our lives that we're saying, God, you're not allowed to have power over this. Lord, you're not allowed to have rule over this. We need to live in a way of personal purity. And as Christians, we should have the highest standard of personal purity. Are there unbelievers that have a higher degree of purity than you do? Their standard for music, their standard for television is higher than your standard as a Christian? How convicting is that? I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. We can go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3 through 8, it reads, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And now notice verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. Notice verse 7 once again. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Again. Try to tell me why we should be watching evil things. Try to tell me why, once again, it's okay for you to listen to the music you're listening to as a believer. God has called us to sanctification and to honor. He hasn't called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Again, there's no reason that you as an adult, as a father or a mother, cannot walk into your kid's room and ask them for their phone, ask them what they're listening to, ask them what they're watching. 
There's no reason. You are the priest of the home. You're the one that's going to stand before the Lord. And he has called us as a kingdom of kings and priests to be holy as he is holy. Now again, practically speaking, as we came in here today, did any of the ushers ask you, hey, did you shower today, right? Are you ceremonially clean, right? What, what, what happened today? Where did you eat? How's your tummy feeling? No, none of the ushers asked that, right? Really, we don't have to turn there. Acts chapter 15 We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Acts 15, the church was in a crisis. Some Jewish people became Christians and they were telling any Christian, hey, you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law of Moses. After you do these two things, then you can be saved. They have a huge meeting. All the who's who's of the disciples are there. Paul, Barnabas, James, other of the disciples. And then in Acts 15, verse 26, it says, these men who risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, abstain from blood, and from things strangled. And look at this, once again, abstain from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you do well. Verse 31, when everybody read it, they rejoiced over this encouragement. Again, before that, in verse 24, they were telling them they had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law. Again, that's why you came in here this this, uh, evening, right? And no one asked you, hey, did you shower? Are you clean? Have you been cleansed? None of that. Because in Christ, there's a new law and order. Jesus, he was the one that upheld the law. He paid it full. And now we go through the new covenant. And this was the beginning of the church, Acts 15. They're, dif- they're dealing with people trying to bring the old law. Hey, you have to do this. Hey, you have to do that. And they made it simple so that more and more people would come in, right? Only through Christ, only through his blood, only through his grace. But what was it? Abstain from things offered to idols. Abstain from things blood, abstain from things strangled, abstain from sexual immorality, right? There's a lot of believers banging the drum trying to tell us to go back to the law and the works of Moses. I don't hear so many of them talking about fleeing from sexual immorality. And if we keep ourselves from these things, we do well. Even Jesus himself, he emphasized that what God cares about is not our outward cleanliness, but our inward heart. If you would, in Mark chapter 7, we'll run through this piece of history here. There's Jesus, there's the disciples, and there's the Pharisees. And if you notice, I just started reading through the Gospels in my, in my devotionals. You notice Jesus, he has a thing for poking at the law in a sense, right? So many of his miracles, they're done on the Sabbath. So often he's doing these things right in front of the Pharisees. It's just a little bit interesting, right? But in Mark chapter 7, the first nine verses, we'll jump around here a little bit. It says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes, they came together, having come from Jerusalem, and now they saw some of the disciples eating bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, and they found fault, right? How often us with our kids, with our husbands, right? We find them defiled, eating their food without washing their hands. However, the Pharisees, right, they made a big stink about it because this was ceremonially unclean. 
This was against the law of Moses. This is against what we've been reading in Leviticus. So then in verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes, they asked Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Jesus answers and he says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. If you jump down to verse 15, here Jesus gives his explanation. He says, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. There's nothing that we can eat, right, that is going to defile us spiritually speaking. Verse 15, he says, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Again, family, this is what God cares about. And we have to be careful because sometimes we fall into the same trap as the Pharisees. We're just looking for outward cleanliness, right? Someone new comes to church, they look a little bit strange, they look a little bit different. They're not our tradition of what we think is clean. And we, be, we can begin to judge them. We have to be careful even with our friendships, even with our own kids, with our own family members. We may think they're doing well with the Lord because outwardly they look okay. But what's going on in their heart? What's going on in their heart? What are the little things coming out? Again, from the, from the abundance of the heart, right, the mouth speaks. The question, what does God care about today? He cares, are you spiritually clean? Now, any middle schoolers here don't use this as an excuse not to take a shower. You got to take a shower, right? I've been a youth pastor. I've been at those youth camps. You got to take a shower. Parents, we made them take showers, right? God, he cares about that too, but he cares about our spiritual purity. And the only way we can be pure spiritually is by spending more and more time with Jesus. Biblically, that's what cleanses us. This is the only way we can be spiritually clean is by spending time with Jesus and spending time in the Word. The less time we spend with Christ, the less time we abide with him. And the less time we abide with him, the more and more unclean we will become. Two scriptures here, John 15 verse 3. It says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. God's word given to us. Jesus says, hey, you're already clean. And then in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 through 10. Again, the scripture has been coming up. It's like every week. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, this is what cleanses us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what's the recipe for being spiritually clean? Spend time with Jesus. Spend time in the Word. Right? Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his weights? By taking heed to the Word, to God's Word. How's your devotional life? How's your time reading the Bible? 
I think for many of us, that's like our last ditch effort to anything in life, right? We're going through a difficulty, we ask Google first, right? Google doesn't really fulfill us, so then we ask family members, we ask friends, we ask online, and it keeps getting worse and worse, and then finally we go, all right, I'll read my Bible, right? More and more often as I'm counseling people, it's just, hey, when was the last time you read your Bible? You need to read your Bible today. You need to take in more and more of your word Again, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Abide in him. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And his blood will cleanse us. Speaking of his blood cleansing us, we go to Leviticus 16. Again, a tale of two chapters. We go from bodily discharge, right? Now to the day of atonement. The day of atonement was one of the highest and holiest holidays for the nation of Israel. They celebrate it even till today, right? Yom Kippur, yeah, right? Yom Kippur. And they do this each and every year. Sorry if I butchered that. My English is barely good enough to speak. But this is the day of atonement. And atonement, we've gone over this definition. This definition in the English is to make up for an offense or injury. Talk about it, husbands. I know none of you here, right? You make an offense with your wife, and now you buy her flowers. You buy her chocolate. You take her out to eat. You do something extra special. You are trying to atone for your injury, for the offense that you created. In the Hebrew, this word for atonement is kipper, which means to cover. So sin was not removed, but it was covered. Their sins were to be covered by the blood of a perfect An innocent life. This is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. However, with Jesus, his atoning blood, it does not just cover our sins, but his blood is powerful enough to remove our sins from us. Again, we read 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, verse 12, it tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. Again, this is the new covenant. This is the blessing we have. God doesn't just continue to put patch-up jobs when we sin and when we mess up. But through Jesus Christ, we are made brand new. He takes those sins from us if we do it God's way. If we confess our sins before the Lord to one another, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's see. 20 minutes. Let's do it. Verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, When they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come to me at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat which is on the ark. And watch this. Lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And I mean, you got to hand it to to Aaron. You have to show him some compassion here, right? Back in Leviticus 10, two of his sons died because they offered profane fire before the Lord. And yet he's still sticking around. 
He's still serving the Lord. Again, a testimony to us, no matter what happens to us, no matter the sins in our family, we should still be serving the Lord, no matter how much that hurts. Again, he's in the same building where his two sons died. Same property, same job, same business, and yet he's still there. And Moses, God tells Moses to warn Aaron, right? Hey, do not come to me at any time in the holy place. God warns Aaron that he can only come to God on his terms. And guess what, family? Same is true today. We can only come to God on his terms. You can only gain access to heaven on his terms. You can only live the blessed life on his terms. This is the way it works. He's God, we're not. And what's the way, what's the access to God? Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Sorry, just going to give you these verses. It says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, from you've talked about this. It's justification by faith alone and Christ alone, by his grace alone. It's not by our works. It's not by our merit. It's not how much better we are than our coworkers or family members, right? Maybe you were there on Thanksgiving eating your food saying, I'm better than all the people around me, right? Probably didn't say that out loud, but maybe you thought it. We'll pray for you, right? Again, it's only through faith in Christ alone. That's the only way. And what's the good news for us? Jesus is telling all of us to come to him. It's only on God's terms. It's only through Jesus. But guess what Jesus tells everyone? Come to me. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, look at the grace we get to taste of. Jesus says, come to me. And as we come to Christ, we gain access to him. And as we gain access to Jesus, we gain access to the Father. We get access to heaven. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, Moses, he's warning Aaron. God is warning Moses, you can only come to me on my terms. Same is true today. There's more grace though. Verse 3, thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments, therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Again, this this day of atonement was one of the highest holy days and holidays on the Jewish calendar. David Guzik, he says they called it the great day, or sometimes even just the day. And it was and remains the only day where the nation of Israel is commanded to fast on the calendar. Modern Jews still regard Yom Kippur as an important day of fasting, soul-searching, and righting wrongs. Yet they offer no sacrifice for sins. What's the very first thing Aaron would have to do? He'd have to come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull. Innocent bull, did nothing wrong, but yet he would have to 
come in only through that blood. That was the only way he could gain access to the Holy of Holies. Aaron was also wearing just the linen garments. He came into the, the tabernacle. He came into the Holy of Holies looking like a common man. Right, if you remember, rewind, right? You think of all the gold on the priestly robes, the ephod, the gold, all the jewels. He wore none of this on the Day of Atonement. He would only wear the inward linen garments, right? Little sidetrack here. There's some people, right? Maybe none of you here. There's some people obsessed with that portion of Scripture where it says that David, he wore only linen undergarments, right? And he was dancing outside. And people try to say, hey, I could dance during worship because David danced in his underwear. They never tried to dance in their underwear, though, right? But they try to say that. What is it actually talking about? David was putting on the garments of a common man, of a common person. And that's why his wife was so offended because her pride was at the place saying, how could you let go of your robes of a king to be a common man worshiping the Lord. It has nothing to do with dancing like David danced. And it was a parade. It wasn't a church service. So far we could go there. You could talk to one of the other pastors afterwards, right? But again, Aaron was just wearing his normal common linen garments. He looked like anyone else. He didn't look like the high priest from the outside. And here he was going to meet with God as a common man. And alone in the tabernacle, later on we're going to see there's no other person allowed in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement. It would just be Aaron or the high priest, common linen garments, and God himself. Again, a bloody day, a long day for Aaron. Aaron's going to offer 15 sacrifices altogether. Again, we don't have time to go through there. We read how you have to cut it, how you have to clean it, how you have to separate it, all the things you would have to do. And verse 6, it all started off with Aaron. He had to offer the bull as a sin offering, which was for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. Aaron would first and foremost kill an innocent animal to pay for and to cover his own sins and the sins of his household. Family, we cannot give what we do not have. His can't. If we're not holy, we cannot be asking an unholy world to come to Christ and be holy. This is not going to work. And parents, we cannot ask holiness of our kids if we ourselves are not being cleansed and renewed by the Lord. It's just not going to work. Right? We know that scripture in Proverbs, right? Uh, show a young man in the way that they should go, that we, even when they're old, they won't depart from it. I was reading a commentary on that today. It says that all starts off with you as a parent, me as a parent, going on the path that then I'm telling them they're supposed to go on. It starts with us. We can't have holiness or revival in our world, in our state, in our country, in our county, in our city, in our neighborhood, and in our family if it has not started in our own lives. It had to start with Aaron has to start with us. Verse 7, he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron would now cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. To make atonement upon it, to cover their sins, and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. You see here, Aaron would try to get two goats that looked as identical as possible. 
He wanted two goats that looked almost identical, and then they would cast lots. They either had rocks with different Hebrew letters and meanings on them or sticks with different ones, right? Maybe you've drawn straws to see who gets to do what or who does whatever bad prank, right? And you draw those sticks. That's what they would be doing here, casting lots. The Lord's goat was to be sacrificed as a sin offering, and now the scapegoat, which is literally the escape goat, would be released out into the wilderness. And this goat would escape death and would symbolize the removing of sins from the nation of Israel. So one would have to die, innocent goat. The other one would get to live, but now all the sins of Israel, in a sense, were ceremonially put on this goat and they would release it out into the wilderness. Verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself, for his house, and he shall kill the bull offering, which is for himself. A great question, right? How did Aaron become the high priest? Was Aaron especially holy? You guys are scholars of the Bible, right? Was, did Aaron have that close of a relationship with the Lord? No, Aaron's the one that is the idol maker, right? While Moses is up talking with the Lord, God sort of says, okay, Moses, time out. You got to go back down there. Why do I go back down there? You got to go back down there, right? They're doing some terrible things. Aaron, he's confronted by his brother Moses who just came down from meeting with God on the mountain. And when he confronted his brother saying, what is happening? Why are these people dancing naked around this golden calf? What's happening, bro? He blamed it on the people. He said, it's the people's fault. And then what did he say? I don't know what happened. I got all the gold earrings. I threw it in the fire and a golden calf came out. I don't know what happened, right? And this is their high priest. It's just God's grace and only through the blood of this innocent bull. However, our high priest is in a league of his own. Our high priest is perfect and blameless. Hebrews chapter 7, you could turn there quickly if you would. And it tells us of our incredible high priest. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. It says, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those other high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Again, family, we have a perfect high priest. He's gone through all of our difficulties, and yet he came out blameless. This is the kingdom of priests that we are a part of. We're not even a part of Aaron, right, that idol maker. I don't know what happened. I threw the gold out, came out of golden calf. We're not a part of that. We're a part of this perfect high priest. Back to Leviticus, in verse 12 it says, Now Aaron, he would take a censer full of burning coals. He would take a bowl full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. Then with his hands it would be full of sweet incense, beaten fine. And now he would bring this inside the veil of the Holy of Holies. And then he would put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that's on the testimony Watch this. What's the end of verse 13? Lest he die. 
don't know about you. If I was, mo- if I was Aaron, right, I'd have a detailed list of what to do, right? Take two steps, cross that out, right? Take the censer, right? He's had his own two sons die because they offered profane fire. Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull, and now he'd sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. If you remember back in verse 2, God said that he would appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. God himself was willing to meet with mankind once a year. And he says, hey, I will appear there in the cloud above the mercy seat. David Guzik, he says that as God would look down upon the Ark of the Covenant, right? He's, the Ark of the Covenant is there. The mercy seat's there. The two angels are there. And now as the cloud's going up, God would meet there. And as God would look down, all God saw was the sins of man. And man's sins were represented by the items inside of the Ark of the Covenant. What are these three items? The first one is manna. And Israel complained about manna over and over and over again. What was the next item? The tablets of the law, which Israel broke it. Moses, he broke all of them at once, right? But Israel, they broke all of the Ten Commandments right away. Finally was the budding almond rod given as a response to Israel's rebellion. God looking down at these sins, then the high priest would sprinkle the atoning blood seven times on the mercy seat, covering over the emblems of Israel's sin. God saw the blood cover over the sin, and atonement was made. Again, as God looks down on us, what's the only thing that can cover our sins? The blood of Jesus Christ. And if we've accepted him as Lord and Savior, then his blood washes over us and covers us. And now God doesn't look at our righteousness or our unrighteousness. God looks at the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, come on in. You're my son. You're my daughter. Back to Leviticus verse 15. It says, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. He would bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, again, seven times on the mercy seat, and then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions for all their sins. So he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Again, now with the goat, not only would he sprinkle it seven times there on the mercy seat, but now he would take the blood of the goat and put it inside the tabernacle or inside the temple. Again, atoning, covering the sins of of Israel. Verse 18, he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He will take some of the blood of the bull, some of the blood of the goat. He'd put it on the horns on the altar all around. Then he would sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Again, this goat, this sacrifice, is a great picture of Jesus. The goat had to be spotless. Jesus was spotless. Jesus was sinless. The goat was from the people of Israel. It was from within the people of Israel that they would choose these two goats. Jesus, he was from the nation of Israel. 
the goat was chosen by God himself, right? They would call, they'd pull the two, they'd cast lots. At Proverbs 16, verse 33, it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So God himself would choose this sacrifice for the nation of Israel. Finally, the goat's blood was the only way to atone for the sins of Israel. And today, the blood of Christ is the only way to cover and wash us of our sins. Verse 20, when he made an end of the atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So Aaron's sins are atoned for. Now he's cleansed the tabernacle with the first goat. And it's not only till he's done with his own sins, the sins of his own family, and the, the sins, the cleanliness of the tabernacle or the temple, that now he begins to deal with the sins of the people. He brings the live goat, verse 21, he lays both of his hands on the head of the live goat and he confesses over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all of their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and he sent it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness." A couple of scholars, they say, Adam Clark and Matthew Poole, they said that tradition tells us that they would tie a scarlet ribbon over the head of the goat. And if God accepted it, God would change that scarlet ribbon into white. And then anyone out there in the wilderness that would see the goat, they wouldn't be afraid to touch the goat and now have all the sins of Israel placed upon them in a sense, right? And what ancient Hebrews tell us is that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which was about the time of Christ's death, the red string turned white no longer. Because when Jesus' blood rose from the dead, he was clothed in white garments. And it was proof forever that the red has been changed to white and the atonement at the cross was perfect and complete. It is finished, paid in full. You could think of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God tells through the prophet Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, and though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Again, our Lord, our Savior, he begs us. He says, Come, come. Finally, verse 23, it says, Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, he would now take off these linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and he would leave them there. He would leave his common garments. Then he would wash his body with water in a holy place. He would put on his full priestly garments and now come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people once again. Again, what a picture of Christ. He came in common apparel, right? After he's done the deed, after the atonement's been paid for, he comes out in his glorified body. He would go in as a common man, common priestly garments, none of the golden apparel or jewels, but then he would come out in full array. Verse 25, the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat, he would wash his clothes, he would bathe his body in water, and afterwards he would be able to come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, that would be carried outside the camp, and they would burn it in fire, their skins, their flesh, and their offal. 
Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. Again, anything that came in contact with these sacrifices, with the goats, with the bulls, would have to be cleansed and would have to be washed. Again, not wanting to do anything with the sins of the people. Verse 29, all of this, verse 1 through 28, it's one man, right? The high priest is the one doing all this work, and then he'd have that one kid, right, that one young man that would take the goat out. But Aaron, whoever the high priest was, would be doing all of this work. Jesus, he's the one that's done all the work for us. So now what were the common people doing? What were the everyday Israelites doing? Verse 29, this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all whether a native of your country or a stranger who dwells among you. This affliction of souls, they were asked to fast the entire day and to do some type of charity, some type of righteous work. Some of them would spend time studying the law and they were being afflicted in order to be able to identify with the atoning sacrifice. To be able to identify with the lamb, with the bull, with the goat, and with all the death that had transpired to take over their sin. They needed to identify with it. And so much of our life as a Christian and as a believer is not the name it and claim it garbage that you hear on TV or on YouTube or on social media. It's about identifying in the afflictions of our Lord and Savior. Are we running from those afflictions? Are we hiding from those afflictions? Are we saying that that's not my life? I'm, I just live a blessed life. I name it and I claim it, right? My words have the power of life and death, right? No. Philippians 3.10. That I may know him, that I may know, right, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. There's something special about suffering. And oftentimes when we go into suffering, we truly have a greater identification with Jesus Christ. There in the suffering, if we go through it in humility and staying close to God, we see a greater view of who God is. You could think of the Apostle John. He's 90, 95 years old. He served the Lord his whole life since he was a teenager. And at the end of his age, he's going to be thrown into the island of Patmos? Should he not be complaining and whining, God, I've served you my whole life. Why in the world am I here? They try to boil me alive in oil. Why in the world am I here, right? And yet, as he's there in the island of Patmos, he's given the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ he's ever had. Even though he met him, even though he was there with him, even though he broke bread with him. The same is true with us. Don't run from identifying with the afflictions of our Savior family. It's many times there in that place that we get to know him in a deeper way. Verse 30, for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. A Sabbath of solemn rest meant ceasing from all work. They would cease from all work. Just as with Jesus, our high priest has gone and done all the work. And now we need to cease striving or working for our salvation or our covering of sins or washing of sins. 
The sinless, spotless lamb has already paid in full for our sins. Verse 32 through 34, worship team, you can start getting ready. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting. And for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So here, Aaron's work or the high priest's work, it would be done, but only for the following year. It would be done only until the next day when he'd be right back there having to offer sacrifices for sins once again. We go to Hebrews chapter 9. We can close there before we have communion. Again, our great, our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 9. Worship team, you guys can come up. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 24. Again, Aaron or the other high priest, they'd have to go right back to work the next day. Offering sacrifices for sins. Trying to get people's sins covered over and over and over again. However, Jesus in verse 24, Hebrews Chapter 9, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have to had suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages... He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Again, what a great segue into communion. What are we doing here? We are remembering the sacrifice of our high priest. Both the sacrifice and the high priest. And again, as we've gone through the Day of Atonement, what a picture to us of what Jesus has done for us. And as we take communion, as we have that bread and we have the juice, we're reminded of Jesus' death and sacrifice for who? For us. For me, right? Make that singular. For me. Yes, sins of the whole world, but he died taking my place. One person died taking your place of death and wrath. And the more we hold on to that, the more gratitude we have there. I truly think there's a change that will happen within us. So again, there's a a chance of, man, soberness, Lord, I can't believe you've done this for me. There's a chance of gratitude. Man, Lord, thank you that you've done this for me. And then finally there's celebration. He's not dead anymore. He's risen. He's alive, right? He's made a way. He's waiting for us in heaven. Now he's going to come down one day. And rapture all of us and take us out of here, I hope, sooner rather than later, right? But again, that's the sort of part of communion. We're broken, being reminded he died for my sins. My sins. My sins. Take ownership of that. Your Lord and Savior died for your sins. 
Not the sins of your wife, not the sins of your kids. Yes, for their sins too, right? But for my sins. To be reminded, someone died for me, taking my place, my wrath because of my sins. We celebrate him. Amen. Gratitude. We can't wait to see him again. So we'll pray. The pastors are going to come up front, hand out communion, and we'll take the bread together, and we'll take the juice together. Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your death and sacrifice, God. We thank you for the new covenant, Lord. How you died once and for all, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that not only do you cover our sins, Lord, but you separate us from our sins, Lord. You cleanse us and wash us and remove all unrighteousness from us, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, if anyone doesn't know you tonight, Lord, that they'd cry out to you right now, Lord. They would confess their sins to you right now, Lord. If if any of us are living in unconfessed sin, Lord, any of us living in habitual sin, Lord, I pray we wouldn't take your death lightly, Lord. We wouldn't take your sacrifice lightly, Lord. But right now, we would want to be right with you, Lord. So again, Lord, just be with us now. Help us to be mindful of these things. Holy Spirit, convict us, encourage us, Lord. Comfort us, God. And Lord, may we truly live lives of gratitude for all that you've done for us, God. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
could turn to Matthew 26. And there in Matthew 26, verse 26, we see Jesus breaking bread with his disciples. And in Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body. You go ahead and partake of the bread. And then he took the cup. And he gave thanks and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. Take, drink of the cup. And Lord, once again, we thank you for taking all of our sins, Lord. We thank you for making the way of salvation, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, that you have given us access to you and to the Father and to heaven itself, Lord. Again, God, help us to live worthy of the gospel, Lord. Help us to live worthy of this good news, Lord. Help us to be that kingdom of kings and priests, Lord. Help us to represent you rightly to our family, Lord, and help us to hold the standard of purity in our world today, Lord. And whatever sphere of influence that we have, Lord, I pray that we would be the standard of purity, Lord, because we've been called to a higher standard, God. So, Lord, we just love you. Thank you for the joy and privilege of gathering tonight as saints, God. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed. If you need prayer, there'll be pastors up front in a moment. If not, go with the Lord. You're dismissed.